Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So one of the most intellectually challenging, difficult, hard classes that I ever took at Sanford University was a one-hour PE credit. We, we went skiing in Colorado. It was a wonderful, fun trip with a bunch of students. Vicky was included. And one of the days we took a break from skiing and we went on snowmobile rides. And it was fabulous if you're driving. If you are sitting on the back, it is not fabulous. And somehow Vicky persuaded me to drive and I sat on the back and she had a wonderful time and I felt like I was riding a Bronco. And so we get to this one spot as a group. The tour guides get off their snowmobiles and they say, hey guys, come stand up here on the edge of the cliff. Now we're in snow up to, probably exaggeration, but it felt like it was up to our hips. And I'm not too crazy about heights, so I didn't get on the edge of the cliff. But a lot of my friends did, and they lined us up for this group picture. And as they're getting ready to take it, one of the guides slips. And he goes, oh no, oh no. And he falls over the side of the cliff. And we all turn around and we rush to the edge and we look and all you heard was and then the other tour guide goes Geronimo! And he jumps off. And then you hear and then they both come up out of the snow and they start waving for us to jump. So it really wasn't a group picture. It was this fun excursion where you jump off this cliff and you land in the snow. And so, we jumped. And you land in the snow, it's way above your head. The hardest part of the whole thing is digging yourself out of the snow to climb back up the side to get up back to the top of the snowmobiles. Now, why were we willing to jump? Why were we willing to stand on the edge of that cliff and jump? And here's the reason. These tour guides told us beforehand that they had been doing this for years. And they know the the woods and the mountains of Colorado like no one else. And once we saw them jump and land in the snow, we knew, I knew, these guys were authorities. They knew this cliff. They knew how much snow was at the bottom. They knew that no one would get hurt. I had to trust in their authority to overcome my fear of, the, of heights and jump off this cliff into the deep snow. And they were right. And it was fun and everybody was safe. So this morning, we're going to come to Mark chapter 11, the end of it. And we're going to see in a very different way. Jesus exercised his authority. 
And Jesus is calling Israel and He's calling us to place our trust, to have faith in His authority as the one true Davidic King. Let's pray. Lord, this is Your Word and it is true and it can change us. It's not just a book. But through the Holy Spirit, through Your Word, You actually change us. So Father, we pray that You would do that this morning, that we would be able to see Jesus in a clearer fashion. That our souls would be filled with grace. That our hearts would be filled with love. Father, set me aside. May Your words pour forth for the sake of the Gospel. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen. So there's two points to the message today, but before we get to those points, there are a few things that I want you to understand about our passage, and I've broken it up into three parts. Verses 11 through 13, verses 15 through 19, and verses 20 through 25. Now let's go back and let's look at verses 11 through 13. Where is Bethany? I think sometimes we pour through the text we talk about locations, we talk about places in the Bible, and we don't often, as pastors, stop and explain where this is. And it's difficult, and sometimes you don't have time to go back into your Bible to the maps that you might have in your study Bibles and find these locations. So Bethany is on the southeastern slope of the Mount of Olives. It is about two miles from Jerusalem, and it is a small town, small village. But it ties in with what Mark has been telling us all the way from chapter 1. Who is the one who is going to ascend the hill to Jerusalem and save God's people? Well, in mentioning the name of Bethany, which he didn't have to do, Mark is letting us know Jesus is the one who is now on that slope that rises from Bethany to Jerusalem. Here it comes. Here He comes. He is ascending that hill. Now, this is the week of Passover for the Jewish people. And so it is too early for the fig tree to have fruit. Sometimes it can prematurely, but typically the fruit on the fig tree arrives in the summertime. So Jesus is going to the tree. He's hungry. And he's thinking maybe, just maybe, there is something that is there. But perhaps he's also trying to teach his disciples a lesson. Because we know according to the Old Testament that Israel was often represented metaphorically as a fig tree. And so Jesus comes to it. The leaves are there. The fruit is not. And Jesus sees this as a symbol or a metaphor for hypocrisy and points this out to His disciples. Now verses 15-19. through 19. All four Gospels mention Jesus cleansing the temple. Do you think something is important if it's been mentioned in four Gospels? That's a way that we should acknowledge that the Gospel writers are saying, look up, pay attention. 
Now, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it is the cleansing of the temple during the Passion Week, during the Passover Week. In John, it's earlier in Jesus' ministry. So apparently there are two occasions whereby Jesus comes to the temple and He cleanses it. Now one of the things that you need to understand that during the Passover week, Caiaphas had allowed the money changers and the people who sold sacrifices to the pilgrims to move into the court of the Gentiles. During the rest of the year, they were not in this location. But this week, and maybe a couple of weeks leading up to it, this is where they were stationed. Now that's significant. Because this place was meant for Gentile converts to come and pray. This is significant because we understand from the Old Testament as the covenants unfold, God is saying to Israel, one of your primary roles is that you are to be a priest to the nations. You are, you are to minister to the nations that will come to me, that will come to Jerusalem, because they will see how great I am because of your covenant faithfulness. Now, we understand the redemptive story that unfolds in the Old Testament that God's people were unfaithful to the covenant and that the Gentile nations did not come in mass to Israel. And we know, according to extra-biblical sources at the time of Jesus, the Jewish people weren't really even interested in the Gentiles being a part of the covenant family. And so what do they do? They move the Gentiles out of the way and they set up shop. Now, one of the things that I love about studying the commentaries and preparing sermons and messages is that my image and perspective of things are, is often flipped. And so one of the things that has recently been flipped for me is this court of the Gentiles. And as a child, I would have told you, thinking about Jesus cleansing the temple, that this area was probably not much bigger than this gym. For whatever reason, that's what I had in mind. But according to historical accounts, it was over 30 acres in size. And now Caiaphas has allowed the money changers and the people who sell sacrifices to come into this area. Now understand this. The people who were selling sacrifices, that was appropriate. That was okay. Jesus and His apostles would have purchased animals for sacrifice from these vendors. The problem that Jesus had was that the, original, the religious leaders allowed them to set up here. The other issue that Jesus had was with the money changers. Now, the Jewish people would have to come and exchange currency because the money of Rome had images of Caesar on it and Caesar was God. And so the Jewish people would want to exchange that money, their money, with that money in order to buy these sacrifices. And they were charging unfair prices. So Jesus is upset about what is taking place in the court of Gentiles and how people are being taken advantage of financially in order to purchase these sacrifices. And so He cleanses the area. 
He wants them gone. He feels like and believes that this is an affront to God and His Word, and it is. And Jesus uses judgment language. This is, this is similar to the language of the prophets bringing judgment on God's people in the Old Testament. He says, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. I can't believe what you have done to God's temple, the most sacred space in all of Jerusalem. The center of the religious life for the Jewish people. Jesus is saying, you have made a mockery of this. In verses 10, 20 through 25, there's one thing that I want to mention. They return and they see that the fig tree that he has cursed has withered. In the Greek, it means it has completely died. And Jesus says that true faith is what he is looking for in terms of those who worship God. Jesus is paralleling the fig, the fig tree with what He has just seen in Jerusalem. And He is saying, God does not want hypocrisy. God does not want people who are going through the motions. God wants people who have true faith in Him. So those are the three, breaking the verses up in three sections. Those are some notes that I just wanted to mention as we work our way through our text this morning, but there are two things that I really want us to focus on. The first is prayer. Go back in your text and look at what Jesus says, beginning in 22. Well, excuse me, beginning with 21. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered him, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. And then in 24 and 25, he goes on to say that when you pray, make sure that you come to the Lord with a forgiving heart. That you are not coming to Him in prayer and asking anything of God, and you have animosity or hatred or anger towards another person. Now this is also mentioned in other parts of the Gospels. It's also mentioned in the epistles. So Jesus has returned from Jerusalem and He's talking to the disciples about true faith and how that's exercised in prayer. And so there's three things that I want us to think about when it comes to prayer. First of all, Jesus is telling us in this passage, and we know this from other places in the Bible, that we should have faith in a God who hears. Faith in a God who hears. Our living and holy and sovereign God, the Creator of all things, hears us. He is not a distant deity that is unconcerned with us, who wants us really to stay away because we bother Him. Our God says, come to Me in faith. I will hear you. 
I am listening for you. And so when we come to Him in prayer, we have a God who is ready for us and a God who loves us, a God who has redeemed us, and a God who wants and is desirous of hearing from us. That's amazing. And you know what? It's every single time. I mean, as a father, I love my children, but I bet I only hear them 50% of the time, maybe 30% of the time. Vicky, if she were here, would say I probably hear her less than that. And these are people that I love deeply and genuinely. This is my family. But yet, because I'm a fallen, broken, sinful person, I'm not attuned to people as I should be. I'm not attuned to you as I should be. I don't hear all the time. My hearing is not perfect. But here is God the Father, and He is saying to us, my hearing is perfect. I hear everything crystal clear. Come to me in faith. I am here for you. Whatever is troubling your heart, whatever has you upset, whatever you long for, according to my will, come, I'm listening. What an encouragement to us this morning. In prayer, we come to God in faith because we know He hears. We also know that He acts. Jesus is telling His disciples that have faith in God, come to Him in prayer, and know that He answers prayer. He really does. Now, the mountain is a metaphor. It's When we think about prayer and we talk about prayer, we have to look at what the rest of Scripture says. We don't pull our theology from one verse. And so we know according to the rest of the Bible and we know from human experience that when we ask the Lord to move a physical geographic mountain, that doesn't happen. But what Jesus is saying is when we have faith and we come to the Lord in prayer and it is according to His will, according to Scripture, then God does act. And we should have faith in that. And then forgiveness. Jesus is telling His apostles, Mark is telling us through the message of Jesus Christ, that forgiveness is a part of our DNA as Christians, as those who follow Jesus. And that it is hypocritical to come to God in prayer and to ask of Him anything when He has loved us and forgiven us and accepted us and redeemed us and made us new. He has given us living hope and new birth. It is hypocritical that God has done all that for us and we come to Him when we have not forgot forgiven others. He has forgiven us. We should forgive others. And that this is mentioned in other places. That when we come to the Lord in prayer, when we come before Him and we open up our hearts to Him and we pray to the God who listens, that we should search our own heart and ask God to forgive us and to help us to forgive others. That that is the 
a proper way to approach the throne of grace in prayer. The second thing that I want us to see in our passage today is the authority of Christ. Again, this is mentioned in all four of the Gospels. And we talked about last week that this is the Davidic son who is coming as a king in peace to Jerusalem. He is ascending the hill. I am coming to save my people. I am coming to bring the kingdom of God, to inaugurate the kingdom of God on earth so that one day in the future, earth will be like it is in heaven. What we pray for in the Lord's Prayer. So here He is. He has come to Jerusalem. He has come to this sacred place, this temple, and He sees how it is being abused and He sees the hypocrisy and He sees the sin and He cleanses the temple. But there's something else that Jesus is doing. He's telling Israel that their King has come. That the temple is no longer central to the plan of God. Because I am the true high priest. And I am the final sacrifice for God's people. And I am the Davidic king. And I am the prophet who can announce the sin that I see before me. Jesus is the prophet and the priest and the king who has come to the temple. And He is saying, I am the one true Israelite. I am the only one who has obeyed the covenant perfectly. And my apostles, all 12 of them, represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus, as He stands in the court of Gentiles, is saying, I am redoing and renewing all things around Myself. See and understand and believe. Jesus is telling Israel, have faith in Me and My authority. I have the power to do this, to say this, to cleanse the temple, to stop this. Because I am the King that you have been waiting for. I am the Davidic King. I am the Messiah. I am here. And what is the response of the religious leaders? How do we get rid of Him? Because it threatened their power, and their authority, and what they were doing that, it, that often was against the Word of God and the will of God. And so what do we do with this? You know, what do we do with this passage? And I think if Mark were here today, he would say to us the same thing I meant for my original audience. Recognize, understand, and know in your heart that Jesus is King and that He has authority over all of creation. He has authority over all of Israel. He has authority over the Gentiles. He has authority over Jerusalem and the temple and the religious leaders because He is the King of the kings and He is the Lord of lords. And so Mark is telling us through this passage this morning, have faith in the One who has authority. Open up your hearts to Him once and every single day. Submit to His authority once in terms of conversion, but every single day. Trust in this King who has 
all the power. So today we have His table. This is the King's table. And this is the King's feast. Now you look at this, and I remember looking at this as a child and going, that's not a feast. It's an anticipation of the real feast that will take place with our King who has all authority forever. That we come to His table and we're reminded that it is His body that saves us and that it is His blood that cleanses us. This table is a reminder of how deeply we need this King and how we should submit to His authority.